we can get going today. Feeling a little bit of that, uh, you know, end of the year, summer's coming, school's out, we're excited, ready to travel. Um, I will say that at least this past week for me, because I'm traveling this upcoming week too, we're going to be in the U.S. for three weeks. Um, For me, as I'm prepping for my sermon, and I think teachers feel this too, I remember when I was a teacher, uh, that when, when you know travel is coming or there's a break coming, um, it could be easy to check out. Um, so I just want to encourage you today um, that as we're you know, going through God's word, let, let's, let's be here, let's be in the moment, let's learn from what God has for us today um, and not miss out on what uh, he wants from us and what he wants to know from the message today. That's just encouragement to you, encouragement to me as well. As I was preparing this past week, I know I definitely felt it. So um, let's pray before we get started and then we'll get going today. Let's pray. Lord, you are King of kings and Lord of lords. You're above all, yet you love us and you care for us. Uh, you, you want us to learn more about you. You want us to draw near to you. We just thank you for that reality that you desire relationship with us. May we grow in that relationship today as we hear from you, not me, but from you. In Jesus' name, amen. What are you doing with your life? <laughs> Uh, on a serious note, okay. <laughs> I'm going to be totally honest with you. When I first wrote it, it was not a comedic line. But after saying it, I understand the temptation to laugh. Let me try again. You're welcome to laugh. It's fine. Okay, I don't even know how to say it now. Yeah, that's... <laughs> what are you doing with your life? Yeah, now, what kind of a line? Okay, who starts their sermon? What are you doing? with That's too convicting. Don't start so strong. All right. None of that was in here, okay? (laughs) Well, when you get up in the morning and you face the day, what do you say to yourself about your hopes for that day? When you look from the beginning of the day to the end of the day, what do you want to happen because you have lived? What difference do you want your life to make? And if you say, well, I don't really think like that. I just kind of wake up as things happen, as they come to me. I respond. I complete those tasks. And if, if, if that's you, then you're cutting yourself off from a basic means of grace and a source of guidance and strength and fruitfulness and joy because the scriptures are clear, including our text today, that God means for us to aim consciously at something significant in our lives. God's will for you is that when you get up in the morning, you don't drift aimlessly through the day, but you have purpose. You don't aimlessly let mere circumstances alone dictate what you do, but you aim at something, and something significant. And I'm talking about children, I'm talking about teens, I'm talking about adults, I'm talking about singles, married, whatever trade uh, you might be, whatever occupation you might have, Aimlessness is akin to lifelessness. Dead leaves in the backyard move around more than anything else, more than the dogs, more than the children. But the wind blows this way and they go that way. The wind blows this way, they go that way. There's motion, but there's no life. God did not create human beings in his image to be aimless, 
like lifeless leaves blown around in the backyard of life. He created us to be purposeful. However, my worry is that we might begin to go through the motions of church life. We might begin to be aimless with what we do here, what we do when we gather, what we do when we're together. God has given us, and we're going to look at those in the next few weeks, God has given us significant targets to aim at when it comes to living with and for one another. And there are multiple commands in the New Testament, 60 plus of them, that are commands such as love one another, encourage one another, um, carry one another's burdens, 60 plus of those. So it's very important to God that we know what he wants from us and how we do this and how we do church life with one another. He wants us to one another well. And we've just recently started to come together in full capacity. It's been a while. And we felt it definitely at least last week. And if you're anything like me, you forget easy. And maybe that's the truth for some of us, that we've forgotten what it means to come together. We've forgotten how to come together. And worst yet, we've forgotten the purpose of coming together. And as we welcome newcomers, we're seeing our kids and and youth ministries grow numerically and our missional families multiplying. What we don't want is to neglect the true reason for why we come together in the first place. So the next few weeks, we'll be looking at some of these one another texts. And today, actually, I do want to mention other reasons for why these one another texts are so vitally important. And there are three that I'll mention just to start things off. First, they're commands. They're not suggestions. So you might say to yourself, well, I'm not that kind of person. I'm not a social person. It's a command. It's not in my personality. It's a command. No, you don't get it. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of one of those that likes to be a recluse, be to myself. Sometimes it's a command. One, the, all of these that we're going to mention, it's a command. But I do want to mention these commands and all of God's commands are good for us. It's not slavery. They are good for us. It is good for us to be in community that is loving, encouraging, kind, patient, one one anothering together where we carry one another's burdens. This is a good thing for us, but it's not just good for us. It's good for the world because as we one another together, they see the gospel. We've received the love of God. They see God's love as we love one another. We're encouraged by Christ. They see the encouragement of Christ as we encourage one another. These are vitally important. So even though you're away and you might be watching online, don't skip out. Because we want to grow together as a community and one another well. So how do we one another well in the church? And that's the question we're going to set out to answer these next few weeks. And today specifically, we're looking at the command to encourage one another. Encourage one another. And our text today is going to give us something very significant to aim at in regards to life together. It might sound simple, and, and it is, admittedly, it is quite simple, but vitally important that we encourage one another. And specifically, our text today, 
uh, because I'm so bad at topical messages. I, I can't do it. So I have to find a text and just talk about the text. I, I, I can't just like, what does the Bible say about it? I'm just bad at it. So we found a text, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23 through 25. I'm going to be preaching the text. It talks about encouragement. So that's where we're going today. So as you're turning to Hebrews, and, and I'll just want to mention um, the questions we're looking to answer today. How do we become, okay, so this is the question we're looking to answer. How do we become a body of believers that is able to persevere through temptation, persecution, and trial? How do we become spiritually strong as a community? That's the question we're looking to answer today. Okay, so as we go through each point, have in your mind, how do we become spiritually strong There it is, all right? And that's what the text is going to look to answer today in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23 through 25. And as you're turning to Hebrews, just a little bit about the book itself. We can only speculate who wrote the book, okay? We have our opinions. Some of you might have your opinions as to who wrote it. The truth is, we don't know, all right? We don't know. Um, But we do know the purpose of the book. And we do know the context of which it was written, The context, the audience is experiencing intense persecution for following Christ and and for following Christ and abandoning uh, the Jewish sacrificial system, at least partially, for a better sacrifice and better way, Jesus Christ. And that's sort of the thesis of the book. Jesus is better than what you were doing before. That's the thesis, right? So he's saying, because Jesus is better, keep moving forward. Because Jesus is better, though you're experiencing suffering, it's worth it. Jesus is better. There's a better way, and his name is Jesus Christ. And we know that, uh, historically speaking, the, the Christian people have experienced suffering. Stolen property, beatings, imprisonment, martyrdom have been the fate of countless Christians. And, and even in the world today, there are parts of the world where Christians experience this kind of suffering. However... For those of us who aren't suffering in these ways because of our faith, uh, it's hard to imagine the temptations these Hebrews were suffering with. Temptations to leave the faith, which is what was happening. He's telling them to hold fast, keep going. Don't, don't abandon your faith, right? Because for some of us, uh, there's safety. Um, to a certain degree, there's safety. Uh, but we're still tempted at times to abandon the faith. And how much more so for them at that, at that time where they're experiencing suffering. And, and, and they've done well. The Hebrew uh, audience has done well, but the author feared that they might now turn away, throw in the towel, raise the white flag, and avoid further persecution that was coming their way. They're tempted to give up and go back. And the author's plea is to hold on and keep moving forward. So that's where we come into our text today. Okay, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 through 25. And we'll read that together. Hebrews 10, 23 through 25. And it says this. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Have you ever read scripture and you just want to sing? That's, that's great. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. 
So here in Hebrews 10, we actually find the author encouraging his audience by reminding them of their standing before the Father through Jesus Christ. Uh, He says in verse 19, and this is directly preceding our text today, our text of focus, uh, but it says this, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near, with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And I want you to keep in mind the, the Jewish Christian audience here. Right? This is a Jewish Christian audience. Uh, this idea of approaching God directly is not only strange and new, but dangerous. Uh, Old Testament law prohibited direct access to God individually. One had to go through the high priest And even then, the high priest had to follow a plethora of regulation to reach the presence of God, or he would die. So so we can understand to a certain degree their hesitation here. We can understand to a certain degree their forgetfulness here, that I can approach God directly. I have that access. Thanks be to God that we do. So, So the author here is reminding them, saying, listen, you need comfort, you got access You need peace, you got access. You need strength, you got access. Direct access to the Father through the blood of Jesus Christ. It's an encouragement they needed, and it's an encouragement surely we need at times as well. Because sometimes when we're discouraged, we want to draw back. But here the author says, draw near. We're not feeling it. We're feeling depressed. We want to draw back. The author says, draw near to the Father. You have direct access to his comfort, his peace, his hope, his love, from where you are. And that's what the author of Hebrews is reminding them here. So so then our text follows. So so the the argument's like this. So since we have this confidence to draw near to God, right, we have this confidence, therefore, keep going. We have this confidence to draw near to God in whatever situation, therefore, don't stop. You want to give up? You want to throw in the towel? Don't do it. Keep going. Hold fast. They feel hopeless, but they're being encouraged to find hope through the access they have to the Father. They feel discouraged, but they can access the encouragement of Jesus Christ. They can find strength to keep moving forward through the strength of Christ. And this is the encouragement here that the author's giving to his audience. So back to our question. I asked you to keep in mind the question from the beginning. How do we become a body of believers that are spiritually strong in persecution, temptation, and trials? How do we become a body of believers that is spiritually strong in temptation, uh, suffering, and trials? And number one, we are to gather with one another. And it sounds simple, like duh. But I think now especially we need this in this season, in this transition. See, it was a danger for the early church to even get together. It was a danger. Uh, There were rumors about the gatherings of Christians that were circulating around the empire that Christians were doing immoral and crazy things when they got together. So there wasn't just like Roman persecution. There was humiliation involved in gathering together. And and sometimes these gatherings would be interrupted by police at the door or guards at the door taking people off to prison. So we can, once again, sort of understand at least a hesitation to get together. 
But Paul says, nonetheless, get together. Because that's what you really need. And I think it's important to mention that the author of Hebrews here um, doesn't have in mind, you know, we, we're trying to put ourselves in, into the text in a certain manner. We're trying to remember what it was like back then. It's not necessarily envisioning a Sunday service as we have it today, but it's envisioning a gathering together where there is mutual love, mutual encouragement, a worshiping of God, uh, usually in a household, right? This is what uh, the author has in mind. Don't neglect that. Be together. The author understood that though there was threat, believers need to consistently be with one another. Um, I'll mention, last year, we met in this room at full capacity zero times. Um, We've had to adjust the way that we gather together. And we have the modern means to do that, right? Based on the circumstances. Uh, The year before that, uh, we had zero people in this room Around, okay, I didn't actually do the math. I kind of, this is a guesstimate, around 15 times. Okay, Paul's going to get on to me later. He's going to tell me the number. He says, I don't know. Yeah, we don't know the number. But there was a significant number of times where zero people on a Sunday were gathered here. By zero, I mean besides the people recording. Okay. And our missional families, they were via Zoom, right? Missional families are on Zoom. Uh, and if we were getting together in a, in, a, in a restaurant setting or something like that, they were restricted. Four, six, eventually eight. Uh, now we're wide open, right? Did you feel it? Could you feel that? I think we could. I could feel it. And what else do we miss about gathering together? Surely it's the heartfelt hugs and handshakes of dear friends and new acquaintances. Or the sound of God's people passionately raising their voices to praise together. Or watching those who are going through painful trials lift their souls to their faithful father in prayer. Maybe the robust amen when Pastor James is killing it, giving a fire sermon, right? Not because of him, but because of the word of God that's being preached. Or or the cheers as our friends are, are being baptized. Do you remember that? Praise be to God. Saints feeling victorious and defeated, experiencing grace and mercy at the Lord's Supper communion as we're going to have today. Opportunities to encourage, pray for, counsel, get to know both members and visitors. The truth is we need each other. And maybe some of us have grown a habit of not meeting together over these past couple of years. And maybe since these last two years, it's become easier to think of excuses not to come together. And I understand that there are legitimate concerns, and, and we've, again, we've, we've adjusted these past couple of years how, what that gathering looks like, uh, but maybe there are illegitimate reasons still lingering. And, and I just want to charge to you, as the author of Hebrews charged to his audience, don't neglect gathering together, as is the habit of some. You need us, and we need you. So that's the first step of strengthening the church. If you're going to be strong, you got to get together, okay? It's not just a Sunday service thing. It's during the week, right? As often as you can, get together with one another. So, so, so the first step of strengthening the church spiritually is to gather, get together, come together, be with one another. But what do we do? So now what do we do when we do get together with one another? And that's where we get to the second point here. We consider one another. Again, this is going to sound simple, but it's absolutely vital. Verse 24 of our text says this. 
Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. And here is what you aim at as you gather together as believers. And notice carefully, because I think it's a bit, not strange, but I think it's maybe not what you might expect. It doesn't say, consider how you can love and, and do good things. Although, that's needed. What this is saying, consider how you can stir up others to love and do good works. So I think that's what we need to understand first and foremost. When we enter in here today, it's not, wow, I hope I enjoy the service that is going to happen to me. It's how can I stir up others, considering to yourself, how can I stir up others to love? How can I stir up others to do good things? What can I do to be a blessing today? Focus on helping others become loving people, aiming at stirring up others to do good deeds. We'd be aiming at what sorts of ways we can think and feel and talk and act that will stir each other up to love and to do good deeds. Uh, The first verb here, it says consider. That has to do with your thinking. Um, We're accustomed to only, uh, generally speaking, we're accustomed to only thinking of ourselves, but our thoughts are better given to others. Ask yourself, is anyone I know doubting? Is anyone I know discouraged, depressed, struggling with temptation? We must give thought to the condition of others around us. And if we're not doing this, uh, we're just merely consumers of religion week to week. We're not engaged in the life of the church. Pastors are not the only ministers in the church. Uh, This is a group activity. This is a community outreach, a community work that we're to be doing together. Though we are Though pastors are the the primary ministers and they're to give their all to it, we're not alone in this work. We're all in this. And the next uh, verb here is to stir up, right? To stir up means to incite or provoke or stimulate. Uh, the, The way we should live is to be motivating to other Christians. They should be reminded of spiritual truth because of how we live our lives, We should stir up and provoke each other toward godliness. And the result of our example should be love and good works in the lives of other believers. Ask yourself, does the way I handle myself provoke others to take seriously what the Bible teaches? Does your counsel cut against uh, worldly logic and press home the claims and promises of God? Does your behavior set a helpful model for weak and new believers? If not, then you're not making the impact you could make as we gather together, stir up, consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. So here's the question. If we are to be a body of believers that is spiritually strong in the midst of persecution, in the midst of trials, in the midst of temptation, we are to first gather together, gather with one another, second, consider one another, and thirdly, and you're wondering, when are we going to get to encouragement? Well, I will, we will, Just wait. Here it is. Encourage one another. And this is how the author concludes his charge here. Uh, He says in verse 25, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. How do we ultimately keep pressing forward in the midst of persecution and discouragement? We need encouragement from one another. How do we press forward in the midst of difficulty, trials, and pain? We need encouragement from one another. 
this Greek word for encourage is parakaleo. Um, it's used in the New Testament to describe not only giving comfort to someone, uh, but it also involves exhortation, urging, strengthening, and even appealing. Uh, just some examples for you here. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 11 says, Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 1 verses 3 through 4 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us, there's that same word, in our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. And in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you, there's that same word, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. So now I want to give a definition, based on what the scriptures say about encouragement. Uh, Here is biblical encouragement in a nutshell. Biblical encouragement is the act of building confidence and hope in one another through reminding each other of God's character and his work in their lives. I believe that's up on the screen in the next, there it is, in their lives. And I think we can get this twisted. Uh, we, we, we can understand encouragement, at least biblically speaking, in, in, in the wrong manner. Um, because in the world, encouragement often looks like fans in, a stand, in the stands cheering on uh, a sports team, right? Uh, just this past, uh, last Saturday, Okay, I just told Caleb I wasn't going to give him a shout-out, but Village Youth, uh, we went bowling. Caleb's really good. And, um, and um, when, when we were out bowling, it was first quite competitive, well, kind of. It wasn't as competitive as it could be. Uh, I know our, our lead volunteers, we like competition. Um, but as we're bowling, uh, as, as you start to kind of stand back, you look at the kids, it doesn't matter what team you're on or what lane you're on, we were, we were giving high fives, saying, hey, nice bowl, you know, hey, that's a spare. Um, and... Encouragement, biblically speaking, could include that, but it's not that alone. It's not simply saying nice things to someone or boosting their self-esteem. Biblical encouragement is the act of giving confidence and hope through reminding one another of God's character and his work in their lives. Um, A week and a half ago, I, I, I was a bit discouraged, actually, which is part of the reason why I chose to do uh, this topic, this text today. I was a bit discouraged. Some of it had to do with ministry. Some of it had to do with um, just some stress happening. But I, I was discouraged. Um, and seemingly out of the blue, um, I received a message from one of our lead volunteers. It was Brandon. And, um, and the message said... Um, hey, God's doing something among the youth. He's using you. Um, And then he said, I'm praying for God's wisdom on your life. And I can't explain it, but when we are encouraged biblically about what God is doing, about him, about his character, because that's constant. If you're encouraging me about what I can do, that's fickle. That could change. But what God's doing through me, what God's doing in my life, who God is, that's forever. And when we're encouraged biblically, it's like, it's like a gentle push forward when we've run out of energy. It's like sitting down to a nourishing meal after a hard day's work. When someone encourages us, we, we stand straighter. We stand reinvigorated. We move with purpose and meaning. We're strengthened and ready 
for what lies ahead. And we know that's the case. How can we not encourage one another? And I'll also mention that in times of discouragement, as, as I think has been mentioned already, in times of discouragement, we could have the tendency to, to sink back and isolate ourselves. Uh, and there are times when we need to be one-on-one with God. Those are necessary moments in life. But more often than not, we should prioritize the gathering in those moments of discouragement. Because the church, the body of believers, this is the place for encouragement. True encouragement. And I don't mean the building. I mean with one another. The, the church is the place, not a place, but the place for true biblical encouragement. So when you find yourself getting to that tendency of, of wanting to draw back and stay there, I encourage you to not neglect the gathering. We need you and you need us. And there may be some today that are discouraged, that are depressed, that might be feeling alone for whatever reason. And I, I would just like to remind you that you're not alone in that. Now, Job lost everything and said, I have no peace, no quietness, I have no rest, but only turmoil. Yet God eventually restored him. Elijah was deeply discouraged and said, I've had enough, Lord, take my life. I'm not better than my ancestors. Yet God used him mightily. Moses was discouraged over the sin of his people, yet God fulfilled his promises to his people. Jonah was angry and despaired over God's mercy to the people of Nineveh, yet God showed mercy to Jonah and the people of Nineveh anyway. The great prophet Jeremiah experienced loneliness, feelings of defeat, and insecurity, yet God gave him strength to display great faith. And David despaired greatly and and wrote about it in the Psalms, yet he also said, and, and yet he's known to be a man after God's own heart. Paul, the writer of much of the New Testament, he said, we were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. Yet he's recorded it as rejoicing in Christ, even in persecution. And Jesus says in John chapter 16, verse 33, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, be encouraged, I have overcome the world. The truth is, for the discouraged, there's encouragement in Christ. Have you been encouraged by Christ? And if I were asked for a show of hands, who's been encouraged by what Christ has done, what he has said in Scripture, what he's done in your life, your relationship with him, there would not be a hand at anyone's side. Everybody's hand would be going up. And if that's the case, if you have been encouraged by Christ, then we are to encourage one another. So if we're a body of believers that persevere through persecution, temptation, and trials, if we're to be a spiritually strong community, uh, then we are to regularly gather, both on Sunday and throughout the week. And as we gather, we're to consider how to stir up one another, consider one another, how to stir up one another to love and good works. And finally, we're to encourage one another, just as Christ has encouraged us. I'm going to ask the praise team to come up we're going to close in prayer. We're going to do something a little different. Is, is now in our prayer, we are going to consider one another. We're going to ask God to reveal to us who in our life needs encouragement. Um, ask God who among us, maybe it's in your missional family, maybe it's here in the gathering on Sunday, maybe it's at home, 
who among us in our life needs encouragement, who's discouraged, who's depressed, who's forgetting the promises of God. So we're going to ask God to reveal those things to us and then pray for the discouraged as well. We'll do that as a community in one voice and then I'll close after some time. All right, let's pray together.